Acts chapter 4. Brother Breland, I did bring my Bible today to preach. Amen. And uh, me and Brother Breland were out yesterday passing out tracks and door hangers, and we knocked on this young man's door, and um, I was given a chance to give him the gospel, and I reached back in my back pocket, where my New Testament normally is, and uh, it wasn't there. And uh, here I was, I was out uh, knocking on doors and telling people about the gospel without the gospel with me, and uh, at least in the uh, form of my New Testament. And so I sheepishly looked over and said, uh, Brother Breland, could I borrow your New Testament? And, uh, and so he was so gracious to remind me of that a few times yesterday, and uh, he might have said something to the effect of, this great soul winner here doesn't even have his New Testament. And the young man did receive Christ, and that was all that mattered. And so we rejoice in the Lord for that. Acts chapter 4, verse 24. Acts chapter 4, verse 24. The Bible says, And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David hast said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kinds of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ, for a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of the holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake with the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they, all had, they had all things common." And with great power gave apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of land or houses sold them, and brought the prices of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he has need. Verse 33 is our text verse tonight, and it says, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. I've been told a few times tonight that uh, I've been instructed that I, I owe you 15 minutes because he went 15 minutes long this morning, and uh, I doubt that's actually going to happen this morning, this evening, but I certainly will try. Uh, but I want to give you one thought this morning, or this evening, excuse me, and that's this, a great church to do a great work, a great church to do a great work. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity it is to preach your word. Lord, I'm humbled every time I get a chance to stand behind the pulpit and, and to open your word and to give it to these great people. And, and Lord, I know I am myself am nothing, Lord, but you have chosen me for this time uh, to preach this particular message, Lord, and I am sure of that. And Lord, I ask that you would just be with me as I preach this message, Lord. Help me to only say what you would have me to say and nothing more, Lord, that you would go before me to the people, Lord, and prepare their hearts to receive what it is you would have them receive from this message tonight. Lord, we love you so very much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. A great church to do a great work. The word great is used approximately a thousand times in the Bible. 
1,000 times that word great is used. Brother Tyler just uh, saying of the great I am. We'll see that a little bit this evening. It is used to describe many different subjects. It's used to describe uh, many different men. We think about the great men in the Bible. He, you would say, man, that is a great man. We read about, uh, in my Bible class, we've been uh, going from Genesis, and eventually we'll get to Revelations. It's the uh, Route 66 through the Bible. And uh, we've been talking about the kings of Israel and uh, the kings of Judah and some of the great kings that there certainly were. And you read about these men in Scripture, and, and you turn and, and as you read your Bible, no doubt you read about Abraham. And you think, man, Abraham's great. You read about Moses, and you say, wow, Moses is great. You read about Joseph, and you say, Joseph is great. David is great. Uh, Paul is great. Peter is great, and and so forth and so on. And we use that expression uh, uh, about great things in the in Scripture. You think about great events. You think about the flood. And you say, man, that is a great event. And not in the fact that it was great that it happened, but it was a great thing. It was a big thing. It, it was something that wasn't just a little thing. It was a great big thing. And uh, you think about... Uh, the season of hope, and you think about the coming of Christ and being born in the manger and Christmas, and you say, wow, that is a great event. And we use that term over and over again. It's used, that word is used to describe Jesus himself. Titus 2.13 says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we can say that. We can use that expression. We say, what a great God. What a great Savior. The great I am still is. And, and, and we use that expression. And, and I was thinking about this message as, as I was sitting in my office here just a minute ago and I had the girls they were I had told them to please be quiet as I was trying to finish up studying and and that was going over very well and uh, as they were sitting there and bored out of their minds in, in my office and uh, and Becky goes well what are you preaching on the night and I say well you have to wait to find out no I I, I said well I'm, I'm preaching about a great church to do a great work and I said don't you don't you know the commercial of Tony the Tiger right and, and he's talking about frosted flakes I used to love frosted flakes I love cereal period all right and uh, if you ever get too old for cereal, I don't want to be that old, okay, all right? And, and some of the oldest people in this room, do you still love cereal? And, and I'm not going to point to anybody. I almost did, but I'm not going to point to you and ask you, all right? And, uh, and, and so I hope you still love cereal. I love cereal. And, and we think about Tony the Tiger, and he's talking about frosted flakes. And, and the commercial comes up, and he says, they're great, right? Does he say it like that? I, don't, I can't say it just like he does. But wouldn't it be odd if he's talking about that cereal, and, and, and the kids are eating that cereal, and he said, they're okay. Like, okay, it's a little odd. He say, they're good. Well, there's something better than good. There's that word great. It, it, it's a wonderful expression. It's an expression that, that adds strength, that adds uh, a little bit of excitement to any subject. You talk about your favorite team or your favorite sports player. And I, and I think about some of, of my favorite sports players as kids. And I think about somebody like Ken Griffey Jr. or Dan Marino or Michael Jordan. And, and I always use the expression when I'm talking about, man, they're, they're, that's a great ball player. I don't just say good. Why? Because that doesn't even uh, give any credit to what they actually did. There's several good ball players. But there's just a few great ones and, and, and how they were great at something. And, and to remove that word great from our vocabulary would truly re remove the ability to uh, fully express ourselves in this matter. And we say, wow, what a great thing. Salvation is a great thing. And, and, and tonight I want to let you know that our church is a great church. But it's a great church that has the ability to do a great work. Not every great church does the great work. 
And not every great work is done by a great church. But tonight, I believe we have both the ingredients to do, for, that we have a great church to do that great work. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. When a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, certain signs and, and, and wonders are, are evident in their life. And when a church is full of the Holy Ghost, there's a certain uh, evidence of, of, of how great God is in that church. And for the 13 weeks that I've been here, or 14 weeks, or however many weeks I've been here, one thing has been uh, abundantly evident. is that this is a great church. Central Baptist Church is a great church. Got a great pastor, have great people, have a great choir. Have an okay associate pastor. But it's a great church. But can I tell you, in the midst of all that's going on, there's a great work to be done. And we have a great opportunity to do that. And it would be great if Central would understand tonight the great opportunity that is in front of us today. I know he's mentioned it a, f- a few times, and, and, and I believe a few of the others that have uh, been given the opportunity to preach behind the, the pulpit have mentioned it, uh, that, that God has called us to this time. Hey, can I tell you something? That the great I am, he knew you would be alive in 2020. He did. He, he knew that you would be in Hattiesburg, Mississippi in 2020. He knew it. He didn't make a mistake. You weren't supposed to be born in 1776. You weren't supposed to be born in 1941. You were not supposed to be, well, maybe some of you were born in 1941. And uh, I, forget, I forget we're speaking to an older crowd tonight, all right? And, uh, and so, uh, but, but uh, you, were, you were meant to be here. I'm, making, I'm storing some brownie points with, with uh, our seasoned veterans here at Central Baptist tonight. But we have a great opportunity. Albert Einstein said, in the middle of every difficulty lies opportunity. In the middle of every difficulty lies opportunity. I believe if we were all honest with ourselves, we know that there is great difficulty going on. There is. I don't have to mention it from the pulpit. (laughs) It's happening. And even without some of the stuff that is going on on the news and, and whatnot, my guess would be several of you would be going through difficulties even in your own life, your own personal life, your, your, your health, your family, whatever it may be. Before I, I jump to the message, I want to share a story from what is commonly called the greatest generation. Those are the ones that were from the 40s, okay? And if I can bring back some of those brownie points from, from some of you tonight. Teddy Roosevelt Jr., the son of President Teddy Roosevelt, This is a story about him. In February 1944, Roosevelt was assigned to England to help the the Normandy invasion and appointed deputy division commander of the 4th Infantry Division. After several verbal requests to the division's commanding general, Major General Raymond Barton to go ashore on on D-Day with the division were denied. Roosevelt sent a written petition The force and skill with which the first elements hit the beach and proceed may determine the ultimate success of the operation. With troops engaged for the first time, the behavior pattern of all is apt to set by those first engagements. It is considered the accurate information of the existing situations uh, should be available for each succeeding element as it lands. 
You should have, when you get to shore, an overall picture in what you can place confidence. I believe I can contribute materially on all of the above by advanced units and believe that it will steadily uh, them to know that I am, steady them to know that I am with them. Barton approved Roosevelt's written request with much misgiving, stating that he did not expect Roosevelt to return alive. Roosevelt was the only general on D-Day to land by sea with a first wave of troops. At 56, he was the oldest man in the invasion and the only one whose son also landed that day. Captain Quentin Roosevelt II was among the first wave of soldiers at Omaha Beach. Brigadier General Roosevelt was one of the first soldiers along with Captain, uh, with Captain Schroeder Jr. off his landing craft as he led the 8th Infantry Regiment and the 70th, 70th Tank Battalion, excuse me, landing at Utah Beach. Roosevelt was soon informed that the landing craft had drifted south of their objective, and the first wave of men was a mile off course. Walking with the aid of a crane and carrying a pistol, he personally made a reconnaissance of the area immediately to the rear of the beach to locate the causeways that were to be used for the advance inland. He returned to the point of landing and contacted the commanders of the two battalions, Lieutenant Colonel Conrad Simmons and Carlton McNeely, and coordinated the attack of the enemy positions confronting them. Opting to fight from where they had landed rather than trying to move to their assigned positions, Roosevelt's famous words were this, and listen. He said, we'll start the war from right here. We'll start the war from right here. These impromptu plans worked with complete success and little confusion. With artillery landing close by, each follow-on regiment was personally welcomed on the beach with a cool, calm, and collected Roosevelt, who inspired all with humor and confidence, reciting poetry and telling anecdotes of his father to steady the nerves of his men. Roosevelt pointed almost every regiment to its changed objective. Sometimes he worked under fire as a self-appointed traffic cop, untangling traffic jams of trucks and tanks, all struggling to get inland and off the beach. One GI later report, uh, reported that seeing the general walking around, apparently unaffected by the enemy fire, even when the clods of earth fell down on him, gave him the courage to get on with the job, saying, if the general is like that, it cannot be that bad. When General Barton, the commander of the 4th Infantry Division, came ashore, he met, met Roosevelt not far from the beach. He later wrote, while I was mentally framing orders, Ted Roosevelt came up. He had landed with the first wave, had put my troops across the beach, and had a perfect picture, just as Roosevelt had earlier promised if allowed to go ashore with the first wave. Of the entire situation, I loved Ted. When I finally agreed to his landing with the first wave, I felt sure he would be killed. When I had bade him goodbye, I never expected to see him alive. You can imagine then the emotion with which I greeted him when he came out to meet me. He was bursting with information. By modifying his division's original plan on the beach, Roosevelt enabled its troops to achieve their mission objective by coming ashore and attacking north behind the beach toward its original objective. Years later, Omar Bradley was asked to name the single most historic action he had ever seen in combat. He later replied, Teddy Roosevelt Jr. on Utah Beach. Teddy Roosevelt Jr. died just a month later in France from a heart attack. This is commonly referred to as the greatest of generations. Teddy Roosevelt Jr. was later given the Medal of Honor. If you go into my office tonight, uh, you'll see I, I, I have an affinity for World War II. I have some propaganda posters from that time, and I have a big giant flag. And then on my desk, I have pictures laid out underneath the glass of all, all the pictures are from D-Day. 
And sometimes I'll sit at my desk and I'll look at the pictures of those young men. And I sometimes think, I mean, you look at them, and, and yes, some of them you can see the seriousness on their face. But the majority of the pictures that I have on my desk, I look at and I see young men smiling. I see young men with great resolve. I see young men realizing the opportunity they had before them. See, they were great men, but they were tasked to do a great work. And they got the job done. Here, this is Teddy Roosevelt Jr. Uh, to be honest, for this time, he was just a little bit old for the job. Maybe physically, he, others didn't think he was capable of doing the job. At 56, he walked with a cane. He had arthritis. He obviously had heart problems and, and, and other sorts of problems. But he was sure that if somebody would just let him have the opportunity to do it, he was sure he could get the job done. He understood what lied in front of him. He understood that, that in order for uh, the right side of, of that war to win, that they had to take that beach that day. He, and, and he was sure that he could help. He knew that he could be that calming influence uh, to the people around him. He knew, uh, based on in all of his thought and, and all of what he was capable of doing, he knew that if he could just be there, that he could rally his men in order to get through those German lines. And he did. And then when he got a little off course, or I'll say it like this, it went a little bit differently than he had expected. It went a little bit differently than even he had planned. It certainly went differently than what he wanted. Could that be said about this week in our life? It went a little differently than what we wanted it to be. And then he just said, here, we'll just start the war from right here. I'm not clamoring for a war tonight. But I, what I am saying is, is, he saw where he was, where he had landed, and he decided to start the great work there. There. And instead of focusing on all the things that are going wrong today, it is necessary for us to have the, the, uh, the vision to look at all the opportunities that God has entrusted us with. Think about it. I believe he said it not too long ago. God did not choose Paul for 2020. He chose you. He chose me. God did not choose Peter for 2020. He chose you and me. God did not choose David, a man after his own heart. And we're talking about great men. He did not choose that man for 2020. He chose you and me. And I believe we have what is necessary here at Central Baptist Church to do the great work. Look, there is a certain great victory that God has for us, okay? It's certain. It's certain. There's that old song I read the back of the book, and we win. We do. But even in the midst of these perilous times, God has great victory, whether that is through great revival that we see or our land or Jesus himself coming back again. I promise it'll be great. Here we see this early church, sometimes referred to as the greatest church. There's four things here, and I, I know 
four sounds like a lot, seeing that I'm already almost 15 minutes from supposed to being done, and uh, we'll hurry through them. And uh, four things here tonight, four great things from the early church that I believe we can learn from to make sure that we have those same ingredients. The first thing here is look at verse number 33. It says, and with great power, and with great power. Here it mentions that this early church didn't just have power. It had great power. It didn't just have a little bit of power. It had awesome power. It, it didn't just have, ha, ha, have the power that, 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 that I could give. It had the power that Brunny, Brother Lenny's arms could give, all right? Amen. I, I told him at lunch I would embarrass him today. And, and, uh, and so, uh, but, but it has great power. It had great power. Use that expression there. Not just power, but great power. And, and that great power did great things in this early church. And, and some of the things that, that, that we read about, we say, well, that, that could never happen in our church. Those things should never take place in our church. We see Peter's influence upon uh, the others. We, we see his influence even in Acts chapter 5, verse 15. If you just turn over one page, it says, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, then at, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. I mean, some of the great uh, works that were done during this time. And, and people look back and say, wow, what a great church. Wow, what great Peter. Wow, what great power. Can I tell you that we can have that same power today? In fact, it's necessary for us to do the great work. Now, I'm not going to say that you're going to throw your tissues up here and Pastor Andrews is going to throw them back and you're going to be healed. I know he's been waving his Benny Hinn coat around, but that's not going to happen. But we can have that great power. It, it, and it can be evident in us. It was evident in this church. It wasn't just evident in Peter. It was evident in Stephen's life. It was evident in Philip's life. It was evident in the prisons that couldn't hold them. And we, we said about it just earlier this morning about the songs that they started to sing. And nothing could hold them because God's power was on them. It was great. It was evident in how they reached the people. They filled all Jerusalem with their message. Verse number 28 of chapter 5 says, oh, let's see. Saying, did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in the name? And behold, listen to what it says here. Ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. What great power. Wouldn't it be great if at the end of our days here at Central, and, and when, when maybe we are laying on, 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 our, on our deathbed and we're about to take our final breath, that, that the, the testimony of Central Baptist Church is that we filled all of Hattiesburg with our doctrine? That takes great power. But that's a great work to be done. Then it has to go out knocking long to realize that not everybody goes to Central Baptist Church. I'm not saying everybody has to go to Central Baptist Church. But there's a lot of people that didn't even go to church. A lot of people that had no clue who, 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 that Jesus could save them. I, I, know, I, I know we saw a few led to the Lord yesterday. I mentioned Brother Danny had mentioned that they had led five. Is he here tonight? I think they had five led to the Lord or whatnot. Man, what a great work that was. But it just didn't stop there. All of Asia heard the word of Christ because of this great church. Because of this great power. These Christians, the Bible said, literally turned the world upside down. I want to be honest with you tonight. I am a great optimist. Okay? I just full disclosure. I'm, I'm very optimistic almost all the time. 
And uh, um, I just, it's just the way I see things. And uh, uh, my team can be, I think I've used this expression before, my team can be down 100 points with 10 minutes left, and I'm thinking, well, we can just score 10, 10 points a minute, and we'll be all right. I am, okay? I understand that's probably not realistic sometimes. And I'm, I'm okay with people being pessimistic in sports and those particular things. But I can never understand a pessimistic Christian. I have a hard time with that. All my life I've been in church. That doesn't make me any better than anybody else. And I hear about these great revivals that have been preached. Been in Christian school most of my life as far as schooling goes. And you read about the great revivals of old. But then there's this disbelief that revival can happen again. I believe there's probably somebody in here tonight that thinks revival is not possible again in our country. Can I just be honest with you? I think you're dead wrong. I do. I'm not going to argue with you about it. Now, there will come a time where revival is not possible because Jesus himself is going to return. But until he, he does return, I'm just going to continue to believe it's possible. But that takes great power in order to do it. And I believe we can do that here in Hattiesburg. I truly, I truly do. I believe that, that Central Baptist has probably at a time in its history turned Hattiesburg upside down. But maybe it's time for us to do it again. It took great power. Say, where did this power come from? Verse, verse number uh, 8 of chapter 1 says, says, Ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. It came from the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you, it's the same Holy Spirit that dwells within you this morning if you're saved. It's the exact same. And if he was capable of doing that then, is he not capable of doing it now? I want to get you excited tonight. I do. Because I get it. You're a little down the dumps. I, I, uh, I probably watched the news too much on Tuesday night and went to bed way too late. And then I watched the news some more on Wednesday. And I watched the news some more on Thursday and then about Thursday night after the volleyball game, I was newsed out. You know why? Man, it, was a, it just gave me a bad attitude. It just did. My wife asked me, well, what's going on with that? I don't even ask me. <laughs> Sorry. But, you know, I, I, I want to encourage you tonight that these things are still capable it is still possible. You say, how was that power demonstrated? Well, that power was demonstrated through their witnessing. That power was demonstrated through, through the desires and, and their actions. All the things that this early church did, and, and I'm, I don't have time to go into all of them. But it was evident. People say, well, that's a person of great power. Well, where's the evidence? Where's the evidence of that power? And can I tell you that, that the evidence of God's power in this great church is all around you? You don't have to look hard. 
but great power. I truly believe that, that, that our churches are, are full of powerless Christians. Or maybe even Christians that once upon a time had power, but have now just given up on the fact that it, they just don't think it's possible no more. And I'm not saying they've quit on God, but they've certainly quit on their mission. But great power doesn't let you quit. It pushes through. Also, something that they had, number two. Verse number 33 says, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Great grace was upon them all. And they were recipient, recipient of great grace. We had our annual staff meeting this Friday. And this was the main topic throughout the day. Grace, having grace. I believe during this time, and maybe more than any other time, it is, it is a time for Christians. We, look, we, we're the recipients of grace. If you're saved this, this evening and on your way to heaven, you're the recipient of great grace. You are. The Bible tells you that. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. And if we're the recipients of great grace, no doubt we can, we, we, we can give great grace. Say, say, what does that great grace do? Well, it empowers us. Going back to power, that great grace empowers us. It empowers our service. First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 says, According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. And, and talking about how uh, just empowering their service and working together with each other. And I'm moving along because I want to get somewhere here. Turn your Bibles over to 1 Peter, please. 1 Peter chapter 4. Verse 6. It says, For this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to the men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And above all things have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happen unto you. But rejoice, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be re uh, revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy." Say, what does this great grace do for us? <clears throat> Excuse me. What is it that this great grace can do? And what should it do through us? As I already mentioned, we have that great grace. It's in us. It, it's up to us in order to give it to others. That's what we did yesterday. When we were going out, we were giving and ministering grace to others by knocking on their door, by saying, hello, my name is Nate. I'm from Central Baptist Church. And do you have a church that you go to? We're having an upcoming series, and it's about a season of hope. Come and hear our pastor preach on a season of hope. And I even mentioned to several that answered the 
door yesterday. I said, you're always welcome. You can come, even come tomorrow. You can come at 11. You can come at 5. I said, you'll hear me preach at 5. I'm not sure you want to do that. And, and, but, but you can come and, and, and hear the word of God preached. And that is the best hope. And that is giving grace to others. That's what that is about. We do it that way. But that's how we give grace to the lost. But what about when we give grace to our fellow church members? I believe we have a harder time of that. But what this great grace does that's upon us, it empowers our speech. And I truly believe that great grace helps us to understand how to talk to others. How to bear one another's burdens. Can I be real honest? I think great grace leads us to avoid unnecessary confrontations. I mentioned in, and I almost preached it tonight, but the Lord didn't allow that, in our staff meeting, talking about unity. He talked about grace in the workplace. And talk about division amongst ourselves. And one thing I do know about division and unity is if we have division in our church, we're not going to do the great work. Now, I praise the Lord because I think that's something that we, we do have. We have unity. And, and if division comes up, we need to squish that like a bug. But grace lends that. And to be real honest, and I don't mean to step on anybody's toes, great grace leads to, it's like a muzzle on our mouth. My wife probably says I need a muzzle on my mouth all the time. All right, let's just be honest. You should shake your head. It's okay. And I know ladies aren't supposed to say amen. I'll, I'll allow it one time. And, and uh, it's like a muzzle. And instead of saying, Man, I hate those cautious and concerned chains. Who, whose idea was that? Ours. Man, I hate how we have to dismiss one row by one row by one row by one row after church on Sunday, Sunday morning. The preacher already preached long. Why do we have to stay here any, any bit longer? Man, why do we have to go all the way around the church to go pick up our kids? And rejoice that you have to go all the way around the church to pick up your kids. Brother John's still getting them amped up before he gives them to you. Lack of energy. I have to practice this too. Why? I don't, I don't like everything. But grace empowers our speech. And I believe sometimes it gives us that muzzle. Can we all be honest with ourselves and say, I need a muzzle sometimes? Those of you in here that are married, wouldn't you say, you know what? My spouse could use a muzzle sometimes. Don't say amen, Brother Jim. Come on now. And uh, you want a chance, Miss Stacy, to say amen? Go ahead. And, uh, <laughs> but great grace empowers our speech. It helps us to be unified in what our direction here is as a church and on the great work that we have to do. 
It strengthens us. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 says, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glorify my affirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And grace strengthens. Grace sometimes is the, uh, is, is the paint on something that ain't so pretty. I read earlier from 1 Peter 4. I, I told my mom this all the time. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. You know, when you do something wrong, and you go to your mom, and you're like, Mom, I picked you these flowers. And you picked them from her garden that she's been trying to anyways, and she's like, I see those flowers. <laughs> uh, grace. Great grace. This early church had great grace. I'm hurrying. Next, verse number 32. Verse number 32 of Acts chapter 4. It says, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. Something that this first great church had, or this early great church had, excuse me, had was great effort. Was great effort. Can I tell you, in order to do a good work, a great work, it takes great effort. A great work isn't done by itself. A great worker works. I mean, I know that's not anything that's as bottom shelf as it gets. But they didn't have any internal problems here. They just worked. You know, some of the best, I mentioned this uh, on Friday, some of the best teams that I've ever been a, a part of, whether it's in sports or jobs or whatnot, they, they weren't focused on self. They were just focused on getting the job done. Great effort. Didn't get the video ready. There is a video on you, YouTube. Be careful now. And... Uh, uh, if you type in sledgehammer teamwork, you will see four guys surrounding a tent stake, big tent stake. And they're pounding it into the asphalt. And every single one of those guys are swinging their hammers, sledgehammers, big 16 pounders. They're swinging. And it's just one after the other, after the other, after the other, all the way until the job's done. The first time I ever saw that video, I was like, wow. That's how every great team should operate. Just eyes focused on what the work is and to put in that effort and not worried about criticizing. You know, if, if in, that, in that video, one of those guys took the time to say, well, wait a minute, Bill, you didn't swing that hammer right. Sorry, Papa B, I didn't mean you. You always swing the hammer right, okay? And, and, uh, um, but but it, it, he didn't take the time to criticize. He didn't say, well, your feet are in the wrong spot. Well, you didn't swing it as hard as I did. Great effort, once again, it, it, it internalizes those things. We don't worry about those things. Their total involvement was for one thing, to spread the message of Christ. It says with one heart and with one soul. You know, there's a lot of sayings that comes from the Bible that we don't give the Bible credit for. 
I see a lot of teams in their locker rooms, you know, it shows beforehand, and, and they'll say, one team, one heartbeat. I say, where does that come from? Hmm. From your Bible. One heart and one soul. And, and because of that, they were willing to give up things that once again simply didn't matter. Now, I'm not saying you should go and sell your whole house and, and do all those things. Now, if somebody wants to just lend a great spot to hunt, well, um, 904-813-0177, and uh, that's my number, yeah, all right? And, uh, and feel free to call me. But they had one heart and one soul to do the work, to do the work, and that's all that they were focused on. Then lastly... All these things brought one thing. Acts chapter 11, verse 21. Acts chapter 11, verse 21. It says, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed, and turned unto the Lord. They had great results. They had great results. The proof that this was a great church was that they had great results. The power, the grace, the effort, that was all sowing. They were just planting all those things, and the results were the reaping of, those, of that work. If we don't have great results here in Hattiesburg, can I just be honest? It's because we didn't have great power. It's because we didn't have great grace. It's because we didn't have great effort. Look, I, I believe you're here on a Sunday night to hear me preach. I mean, as soon as he said he wasn't preaching, you knew it was going to be me. Come on, be honest. So I believe you're committed. And I believe if I asked each and every one of you personally, don't you want Central Baptist Church of Hattiesburg, Mississippi to be proclaimed in heaven to be a great church? You say, is that possible? I believe so. But it's going to take great power, great grace, and great effort. A great multitude believed and turned to the Lord. Many believed. Look, I'm not all about numbers. I know he's not either. But a number does represent a soul. It is a representation of the people that you can reach. And I believe we all want to have great results. I mentioned on Friday how much I hate to lose. I hate it. I think we're going to play some basketball tonight. I hate to lose. I'm never okay with it. I'm just not. I never walked away from a game that I, that I lost. I mean, I'm still mad that I lost a game to Miss Leslie on Friday. I, I'm still mad about it. Where is she? I don't even see her. Is she out here? And, uh, um, I, and I just hate to lose. And we get one chance in this life. I talked to a young man yesterday, and, and sometimes you talk to a, a young man, and you ask him just yes or no questions, where you're just only going to get yes or no answers. Yeah, no. You use that phrase if you're standing before the Lord. Ask, 
And he asks you why. He should let you in heaven. What would you tell him? I know what I would tell him. But for us as Christians, I used to tell my church all the time, not everybody's going to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But you get one chance at it. I believe we have a great chance, a great opportunity in the midst of this very trying time to show that we're a great church, prepared to do the great work. Think about Teddy Roosevelt Jr. there. Think about what some of the young men that were around him saw. I was thinking about this today, and I was envisioning the beaches of Normandy. I've never been there. I've always wanted to go. And I was thinking about this man that has a cane. It's not what I am picture of a awesome soldier. He's got a cane. He's got arthritis. He's got other physical infirmities. And yet those young men, just by watching how calm, cool, and collected that Mr. Roosevelt was, said, you know what? It must not be all that bad. Well, wait a minute. If you know anything about D-Day, it was all that bad. Bullets are flying. Men all around your feet who have given their lives. And there's Teddy Roosevelt Jr. with a cane directing people. So much that in the midst of this great turmoil, somebody could turn to him and say, what a great commanding officer. I know I can do it now. Every single person in this room has someone looking to you to be their Teddy Roosevelt Jr. You're the Christian. This is a tough time. Is somebody going to look at your life and say, he's letting the turmoil get to him. It must be that bad. It's time to close up shop. We're defeated. Or are they going to look at your life? I mean, somebody that is counting on you. Hey, dads, look over to your left or right where your kids are sitting. Hey, they're counting on you. My girls are sitting right there. Three out of the four are awake. That's a win, all right? Hey, look, they're counting on me. They can look to me and say, well, daddy's in turmoil. Daddy's giving in to all what's going on around him. I hope not. I hope they look to me and say, I don't mean this in a bragging way, everything's all right. What great power. What great grace he's given. 
Hopefully they say, what great effort he puts in. You say, do you want your kids to say that? Absolutely. Don't you? I'm not saying that they got to brag on you. But somebody's looking for you to be that for them. Don't let them down. Let's stand to our feet, heads are bowed, eyes are bowed.